and we are back. After a long hiatus, Stat Chat returns featuring myself, Dave Klatsky of Coolgate University. Now, it's been a little while, partly by design and partly because I've been pretty busy with the beginning of the season. So the first number of episodes I thought were way better than I could have expected. I learned a ton. Uh, I enjoyed most of them. I learned a ton. I've stolen things that I've talked to people about and are now using them with our program. Um, That being said, from here on out, I can't tell you how it's going to be. I mentioned in the beginning, but, you know, I got this one and I got a couple more planned. And then I may take another break. Obviously, during the season, it's a little tougher. And then I may start up again. I just want to make sure that I'm bringing new material. I still think there's a ton to talk about and there's a ton to learn. Um, But I don't want to oversaturate it and not have episodes where we're learning new things. So um, that brings us to today's guest, uh, a fellow Patriot League assistant, which um, I see all the time on the road. And I've been impressed with what he's done in his short amount of time in coaching, uh, in learning, and in teaching the game. His website, www.pickandpop.net, is fantastic for those looking to learn from him and from others that he links to. He is a young, rising coach, and uh, what we talk about ranges from all different things, from what they do to what he's learned and, and what he's seen at four to, four to five different programs. So I was, I was happy to talk to him. And, of course, this being October, we had to talk Patriot League basketball. So those of you that uh, are interested in the Patriot League, we, we dabble in our predictions. And I, I throw out two that I think uh, one a little crazy, one not so crazy. But um, I hope you enjoy Stay with us. Uh, I'll, be, I'll be dropping an, another two to three over the next month, and then we'll see what happens. Here we go. It was right around the corner, and I couldn't be more excited to talk hoops again. Uh, today's guest, we have, we're going to stay in the Patriot League for this one. Uh, we have Zach Beauvert from Army West Point. Now, Zach, if, uh, for those of you who don't know, runs a popular website amongst coaches called www.pickandpop.net. He is a student of the game, but also a teacher of the game, as, as this site is one of those sites that if you are a coach or you're interested in learning basically about many different facets of the game, it's a, it's a, it's a must-have. Um, not only does he do his own stuff on there, but he, he posts a lot of different things from – from different coaches and different systems and, and stuff that really is valuable and, and uh, most coaches need to have in their, uh, in their daily repertoire to see uh, what he's posting. So, um, Zach, uh, welcome to the show. If you don't mind, can you just kind of explain to the, to the viewers how you eventually got to this point, um, both coaching and with your, your website? Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I, one, I'm, I'm happy to be here and, you mentioned the website. One thing that's not on the website, and I'm still trying to figure it out, and as soon as I do, I'll, I'll get it on the site, is how to guard that uh, secondary duck and play <laughs> you guys run on the left walk of Redford. So uh, as soon as I figure that out, uh, one, maybe I'll, I'll, 
use it to help our team, and then I'll, uh, I'll, I'll certainly get it up on the website. But, uh, you know, appreciate having me. Like I said, like you said, it's an exciting time of year. Um, you know, as college, you know, as college practices are in full swing here and games are kind of right around the corner. So, um, but, you know, to answer your question, um, how did I get here? I mean, I was a, uh, you know, I was a, uh, crap player. I don't know if I can say, I don't know. Dave, I can say that on there, right? Uh, I was a bad high school basketball player who loved the game. <laughs> uh, I had phenomenal coaches growing up. And I think early on, I think, you know, the reason why a lot of us are in the game is, or in coaching is because early on coaches showcase for us the impact a coach, a good coach can have on a player. And, uh, you know, and, and then you want to have that same impact, a, 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 you know, as you get older. And, uh, and that's how I found my way into coaching. I was a bad high school basketball player who uh, loved the game and who knew, all right, I got to figure out a way to stay in this game as long as I can. And my playing days were numbered. And uh, I found my way to Fordham University in New York. I wanted to, you know, I wanted to be a manager at Division One school. I wanted to be in the in a big area where I could start to build relationships with some high school coaches and some AU coaches while I was in school. And uh, I stumbled upon Fordham University. It was in Atlantic Ten and right in uh, right in the Bronx, New York. And uh, I worked there for four years um, uh, as a student manager in the in the summers. I was running all over the country at different camps, five star hoop group, different college camps, Notre Dame. Um, all over the place, just trying to be as active as I could. And, uh, you know, early on in that process, I kind of I, I took a step back and just looked at the program and said, uh, you know, how can I make my impact in this program um, the fastest? Uh, you know, and I, like I said, as a student manager, we didn't have the biggest staff. And, you know, one way I saw was if I can kind of figure out this video thing a little bit, you know, it seems like the assistants are overtaxed with trying to scramble and film exchange and trying to, you know, you know, trying to cut up games. And there was a computer laptop sitting there with a sports code, or I think it was a game breaker license at the time. And they, you know, they shrugged their shoulders. They said, go nuts. And I jumped right into that. And, and you know, I, I tried to immerse myself as much as I could in film and video editing. And I try to make myself useful. I mean, I just try to create value for myself. And then the second way, I kind of, again, stepping back and saying, how can I provide value for this program while I was just an undergrad was uh, at the time in the summers, um, coaches still weren't, players weren't allowed to work with work out with coaches. They didn't have the two hours like we do now. Um, and, I, I, you know, I just quickly said that if I know what I'm doing out there, I can be of value to the player, uh, to the coaches and to players by just being around in the summers to work them out. So when I wasn't working camp, I was around to work those guys out. And so that first couple of those first, you know, those first years when I was at Fordham, I, I literally would just try to devour any kind of coaching DVD you could find, any any anything I could find on player development because I just – I knew that was a way I could make the quickest impact in the game. And it, it was really fun. And, you know, those were, you know, those were great years. And I think they were really important because in truth, Dave, I didn't know what the hell I was doing but I was just learning on the fly, and I was just learning by being it, being there and doing it myself. And I was making a million mistakes, but you know, no one was, you know, you know, no one was there to see them. Where I, I was self conscious about it all, I was just kind of winging it. So it was actually right. great. Um, it was a great atmosphere for a young coach uh, to kind of, you know, get get my hand in doing that. And uh, after graduation, my uh, my dad, I think, was hoping the whole time when he was paying uh, X number of dollars per year for me to go to Fordham. You know, that was a you know, um, you know, middle class family uh, with two parent working parents. I'm, I'm sure that wasn't cheap. Uh, 
But, uh, you know, the whole time I think he was planning, hoping that I would end up kind of maybe going to law school. I, I was an English major at uh, Fordham, which, you know, my players kind of chuckle at still. Um, but, uh, you know, he kind of was hoping maybe I'd follow him in going to law school. And uh, I was lucky enough. Um, I got a, uh opportunity to go to Iona College right up the road when um, the interim head coach when I was at Fordham, Jared Grosso, uh, took the assistant coaching job at Iona up in New Rochelle. And, uh, you know, he recommended me to Tim Kloos, and Tim Kloos offered me a uh, support staff role for, I think, a grand sum of $5,000. Um, <laughs> I still remember telling my parents, and, that, you know, I thought it was a ton of money. My mom, uh, I think at first when I told her, thought I was referring to the $5,000 was per month. And she was a little bit worried about me stretching that out over, you know, it was New York City. And then I had to tell her, of course, the 5000 was actually for the year. But, uh, you know, they ended up – they were happy for me because it was my dream and it was my passion. And, uh, you know, I, I ended up working my way up there at Iona. I took a year to work at the Hoop Group under Rob Kennedy, which was one of the best experiences a young coach could ever have. I know he uh, – you know, it just was a – I learned so much about the business, learned so much about the profession at the time there in, in just in 10 months under Rob, and then I was able to go back to Iona um, in a larger role and then work my way to FDU. I'm, I'm well-traveled, uh, too many spots for a guy this young. But, uh, you know, FDU uh, under Greg Horenda, uh, University of Maine under Bob Walsh for two years, and now I'm beginning my second year on staff here at Army West Point under uh, Jimmy Allen. So so that's, uh, that's a lot of stops in, in six, seven years. And, and one thing – you know, that I think people that know you will say is you're, you mentioned it a little bit. You're very passionate and, uh, you know, you can see it in the work that you do. You know, I, I still, every time I, I go to your site or I click on one of your links, I, I'm actually, I, I'm just so shocked that you have the, you know, the find the time and the, the, um, you know, there's some times where I want to write like a paragraph about something and I, I put it off and I put it off and yeah. it never happens. And I'm, you know, and you basically write, uh, pages and pages of notes of anything you've seen. Um, so can you just, you know, briefly talk us through some of the differences? So it sounds like you've been at yeah. four different programs, and we'll come back to the Hoop Group. Um, no, actually five different, right? No, Fordham, Iona, FDU, Maine, and Army, right? Or did I say yeah. you there? Yeah, no, you're good. So, you have five, yeah, five, including the undergrad work. So can you just kind of talk through some of the differences that you've seen, um, you know, more on the analytics and advanced stats yeah. side of it uh, as you've gone through your, your travels here in six, seven years? Yeah, it, it, it's fun. I, I think I came in at an interesting time because when I came in, when I, I'll tell you, so I, I, I arrived at Ford in 2006. I really started hanging around their offices in 2007. And I remember that Ken Palm, Ken Pomeroy, who, you know, your listeners are obviously aware of, um, he wasn't a thing yet. And I, I don't know when he started exactly, but I, I remember like, I remember being introduced to his work. I want to say my junior year of college. So it's funny. I actually remember before he was a thing or maybe it just wasn't a thing to me. And so I, you know, that was early and it's been fun to see over the last 10 years, how mainstream his works become, how uh, more advanced and more sophisticated people are with you know the coaching world is with analytics and, and you know i think a large amount of it has to do with ken pomeroy i think a lot of it has to do with you know dean oliver's great book basketball on paper which is uh, you know just the intro if someone doesn't you know needs 
wants to know more about basketball analytics, that's by far the number one uh, recommendation, reading recommendation I have for people. So um, it's funny. So I, in the 10 years, I think I've, we've gone from zero to 100, at least where we are right now. Though obviously I do think there is uh, there's more to go with it. But kind of when it first started, it was, you know, nothing. It was, the you know, plain box scores. And then uh, Ken Palm started, you know, getting more and more popular. And then Synergy came in with their own version of analytics. And now you're seeing the lineup analytics that, you know, some great companies are doing. I know, um, you know, I know Mike was on and was talking about the work that Open, Open Look does with their lineup analytics. And now you're really, it's really booming. And I think a lot of it is centered around, Dean Oliver's book. I think it's centered around Ken Palm, and I think it's centered around um, the success, the analytics-driven people, uh, general managers have had in the NBA. You know, headlined obviously by Daryl Morey. Um, so it's been cool to kind of see that grow. And I remember um, one one thing. Uh, you know, I graduated in Fordham in 2010. And I thought I knew a lot, and I, I showed up at Iona College, and Tim Kloos, uh, who's just a savant. He, he's a for those guys that aren't familiar with him, he was a uh, he's a high school coach for 30 years on Long Island. He worked his way to getting a small junior college job, worked his way to getting a Division II job where he won a ton of games and, and landed a, his first Division One opportunity after the age of 50 uh, at Iona College. And it was amazing to see. Um, I showed up at Fordham. I showed up at Iona, you know, fresh out of college, and I, I thought I knew something. And Tim forgot. <laughs> forgets more about, about the game every day than I'll, I'll ever know, and, and so it was kind of cool to show up, and, and, and Tim does it in different ways. He's an old-school guy in a lot of ways, and he's not a guy that's kind of, that's very in tune with analytics, but it was really interesting that he was open to some of that stuff, and there was a certain uh, point that you had to, you know, you, had, you might have to interpret a little bit for him, but he also, and I think the really good coaches that have been doing it for a while, those analytics just reaffirmed some things they thought. You know, and Tim was a guy who was early on with um, the importance of three-point shooting. And, and, you know, when all those analytics came out, it, it reaffirmed what he had felt for a long time. And, they, and I think that's something that's very – that you see consistent in um, – especially in basketball, maybe more so in basketball than major than, than baseball. But basketball, in a lot of ways, reaffirms things that we've long thought about the game, about what a good shot is, about what a bad shot is, what – you know, and, they, you know, it really has helped, and it's really worked to answer the right questions in regards. And I, I think the best way of, to consider that is um, if you're talking about defensive rebounding, that defensive rebound percentage is a much better accurate measure of defensive rebounding than rebounding margin was. And why is this answering a more specific question? How, how you know, what percentage of your opponent's misses are you getting back? At the end of the day, that's the question. That's how you measure, you know, how good of a defensive rebounding team is. And defensive rebound percentage answers that question exactly. Whereas rebounding margin, you know, encapsulates, you know, your defensive rebounding, your offensive rebounding, the other teams, you know, the pace of the game, turnovers, all kinds of stuff. And defensive rebounding really answers a clear, uh, a clear question. And I think one thing that's been cool to see is over the last ten years how more in tune the basketball coaching community is with some of those stats, and I think there are some that are still resistant to it. But for the most part, guys are catching on and guys understand uh, the value of analytics and how, you know, the value of a better stat, per se. Yeah, and, and to get kind of back to, I know, uh, you know, obviously Coach Clues 
super yeah. successful and, and, you know, I talk about this all the time. My college coach, Rand Dumphy, not really a big analytics guy, but super successful because they just, yeah. their instincts are so good. And then, yeah. you know, the young guys that come along, you know, yourself, myself, other people that are numbers driven, uh, come and say things like total rebounds doesn't matter. Total points doesn't matter. <laughs> it's all, you know, pace. Like how much resistance did you see from a, a guy like that? Cause I've, you know, I've coached under, uh, two guys that, um, aren't very resistant or slightly resistant, but I've never had yeah. to be under somebody that, you know, has done it for 15, 20 years that might yeah. be a little bit more resistant to really knowing, like digging into the numbers and, and, and showing like, yeah, we need to stop three point attempts. Like that's yeah. the main thing is like not the percentage that we well, did with no control well, over that. Well, you know? hey, hey, and I, I fought that battle and, and I mean, that's an interesting one when you and we're getting, we're diverging here a little bit, but I, I really recommend people look into those, some of the research that John Gassaway and Ken Palmer have done that Dave's referencing in that as an opponent, you have very little control over three point percentage and as a defense uh, over what your opponent shoots and your, the really the control you have is over their attempts. And uh, you try explaining that to someone that, uh, you know, it's interesting. Um, you know, you asked a good question, how resistant. I think a lot of it comes down to how you're delivering the message. And one of the best stories uh, I've heard is kind of in this regard, and then I'll relate it to personal experiences. Daryl Morey, um, his first coach when he, when he arrived in Houston as general manager, I believe, was Jeff Van Gundy, but it very quickly became Rick Adelman. And Rick Adelman is this old school of a basketball guy. Uh, he's been coaching in the NBA forever by the time he landed in Houston. And Daryl Morey had a great story about how Daryl Morey, you know, he's in the technological age, and he's he says, you know, my preferred way of communication in terms of our analytics reports will be to email them to a coach. And he said, you know, very quickly I learned that that wasn't going to work for Rick Allen. One, yeah. Rick Allen doesn't do email. So if I there would be no email address to mail it to, and if he had one, he just would remain unopened. And so he had done I said, and he said it was my job, and I, I think, you know, you would agree with this, it's, it's part of, you know, our jobs as younger guys that maybe do understand analytics and understand the value of it, and we're trying to make our program better, is interpreting that information in a way that they can digest. And so Daryl Morris said he, he spent a couple weeks observing Rick Adelman's habits about what he was doing, and he knew he couldn't plop a 95-page PDF on his, on, on his desk in the morning because it would just be left unread. Instead, he observed that when he got to the team plane – Rick Allman liked to do some light reading over a glass of wine. And his Daryl Morey's way of articulating the analytics to Rick Adelman was giving him a two-page, uh, double-sided, so four pages in total, handout with that glass of wine. So I think all the time I always think about that story and how, you know, what is going to be the glass of wine for my, you know, for me delivering this information, maybe interpreting this information for my boss and how the, in, in terms of how this can make our program better. Um, so I think a lot of it is just finding a way with by to manage that with different personalities, and, and you know, and, and I think all the coaches I've worked for, um, I don't know if you know, resistant would be the word, but it was simply a way of me illustrating to them the value of analytics, and I think each guy has embraced it in their own way. Um, Tim, like you know, like I said, Tim embraced the Ken Palm stuff early. Uh, while still maintaining some of his old school beliefs, um, 
you know, Bob Walsh dove right into the lineup analytics, the open look, uh, that the open look group provided. Um, and Jimmy, much the same way. He, he wasn't entirely familiar with lineup analytics when I arrived at our, at West Point a year ago, but it was something he quickly understood the value of. But it's about, you know, and the best way to uh, describe it is that, uh, open looks, open look analytics is a group, is a client based, uh, service in which they deliver you uh, right after your game, they deliver um, stats uh, right to your inbox. And they, so they'll give a, a detailed report of how each guy did, um, what, you know, what the offensive rebound percentage, what the, you know, uh, effective field goal percentage, what the offensive rating, what the defense rating for each guy on the floor, as well as two-man units, three-man units, four-man units. And, you know, they deliver what is a any, – it can range from anywhere from a 10 to 30-page PDF. I like much like Darren Moore said. I can't print that out and hand it to Jimmy. So what I just started doing is, how can I, you know, what are some highlights? What are some things that I feel that can can bring value? And I just started going through uh, kind of a blow by blow and trying to get as much information as I could on one page and say, hey, here's some stuff. Here's some trends sticking out because I knew if I printed that 30 page. PDF off, it wasn't going to reach him. So our, how, what's the best way uh, for him to manage his time in that, you know, as head coach, you don't have the time to go through all that. All right, as an assistant, here's one thing I'm doing. I'm going to break, break this down. I'm going to try to deliver. Here, maybe here's some statistical trends that you need to be paying attention to with our team or maybe with the opponent that's coming up, um, you know, in, in that regard. All right, let, let's, uh, let's talk about um... – lineup uh, efficiency because this is I, I go back and forth on this and yeah so when I first started at Stevens I I still do this now I keep track of minutes and your plus minus when you're in the game right so yeah um, which is there's a lot of flaws I understand you can't use it as gospel but it gives you something right so correct back in my Stevens days I used to keep track of five man units and what I found in which now open look does it for you is there's not a whole lot of data except for maybe your starting lineup. So Correct. for me, I stopped doing it. But here's, a, here's an example, I think, of where, like, stats, you have to use them in context. So um, knowing the numbers and knowing a little something about stats matters because, like, I, I'm sure you guys get it. I'm sure most of the people that are listening that are coaches get the advertisements from different stat groups that say, here's your most efficient lineup when uh, this is happening or here's, and I read it and I'm like, you have 93 possessions. Like that's, if you have one, you have, you have 93 of, possessions, that might be your, that might be your second most played lineup. I, I mean, and I know, that, and I that, know. It, so it, like, it would be a useful stat if the sample sizes were bigger, but I agree with you And five man, five man units are um, the ones I, I, I actually, I'll say this, I disregard and I, I, and I'll say I wouldn't disregard them if the sample size were larger. I think as you right. get into an NBA season where you're playing 100 possessions per game, and you're doing that 82 nights a year. You can then build the sample size of the five-man units that do that you can pull results from. But at our level, I just don't think you can ever get the sample size that you can. You know, the glory of the small sample sizes you can interpret. You know, there there's some scary data interpretations you can. Yeah. And so five man units, I agree. I, I I agree with you wholeheartedly on the problem with five man uh, five man unit uh, analytics. 
So what, what do you use? What are you looking at most? Because I know we don't yeah. subscribe to Open Look, um, but we do have a, a site. I can't even think of the site's name at the moment. It thinks I can't plug them, but uh, where it does give you two and three man, you know, yeah. um, offense efficiency, defensive efficiency, what yeah. your rebounding rate is, which I think is terrific. But it still yeah. is a lot of information, and I. Yeah. I trust it, but I don't, you know, we don't, like, go crazy yeah. about uh, it because. I think the best way, I think the best way that we use it, one, and I think it's, I think it's why what you've started doing at Stevens in realm that, well, again, to you, everything in context, that was the best you could do was, you know, your plus minus of each guy in terms of, you know, over how many minutes he played, that gave you something. But I think lineup analytics and what these companies, and, you know, Open Look's not the only one. There's, you know, there's like you said, right. several out there. But what it allows you to do is why is that happening? All right, we are plus 30. Um, we are plus 30 over the last four games with this kid on the floor. Why is that? And what it allows you to do is what are the four factors when he's on the floor offensively? What are the four factors when he's on the floor defensively? defensively what's our points per possession so i know he's plus 30 is that because we're really good on offense or is that because the other team can't score on us over the last four games with him on the court what you know and now you know a great one is all right we're really good offensively when he's on the court um you know but you know it's because we're shooting we happen to be shooting 60 percent from three um you know now is that something that has he has something to do with or in a, in a favorite line of mine, in, I think it's Fran Vashiller. Might be Fran might say it and give someone else credit, so I might be losing. I might be losing mm-hmm. someone's credit along the line. But uh, stats and indict the video convicts. So a lot of what right. we do is looking at the data and saying, what is that telling us? And now is that right? The, you know, so maybe it's all right. That kid's plus thirty. We're shooting sixty percent of threes. It's because he's a low post player and he's really drawing help. And we're we're getting inside out threes because of that, or maybe we look at this data and say, well, listen, we we're six percent from three. We we you know it's just we've happened you know again the glory of the small sample size. We've happened to make shots while he's on the court. Um, so we'll look a lot at that stuff. But why is that guy? Why is he performing well? Why is he performing poorly? Is it an offensive thing? Is it a defensive thing? What is it about the defensive thing? You know, and, and the things that really tend to emerge is you know, hey, we're a much better defensive rebounding team. When he's on the floor, hey, he, you know, we, we, uh, we, uh, the ball moves when he's on the court. We assist on 75% of our baskets when that point guard plays. That number dips to below 50 when he's out of the game. He really makes our offense move. Um, you'll see that sometimes in position, in dichotomy between two positions, the dynamic where maybe a starter and a backup and you're saying, all right, that number really trends to play. It's especially good when guys are playing pretty even minutes. You know, last year we had some times where yeah. a guy split 20 and 20 at each spot, and it's like, guys, we are a much better defensive team. And it's funny, if you look, they're really playing with the same combination of four players or maybe, you know, five or six guys filling those other four spots, but we were much better defensively with one of those guys than the other. What's that telling us? That's a big one that jumps out to us saying, we're a better defensive team when this kid's on the court because all things aside, they're, everything's pretty much the same except that number. Um, so I yeah. think that's really good, and I think it's really good when you can break down your lineup a little bit. Now, uh, there at Colgate, I think you guys do a really good job, and it drives the rest of the league nuts and how versatile you guys are and, and the positional versatility and the 
the different guy that different uh, spots, different guys will play and how many different lineups you can put on the court. But if you're playing maybe a more traditional um, lineups, you can kind of look at your lineups in the sense of perimeter players and post players. So you can look at it where if you're looking just at your four and your five, you can start to really pull some data out of just looking at your two-man units of just your fours and fives and that you can put together five or six combinations with those guys, if that makes sense. Uh, you know, I hope, yeah. I, I hope I'm making coherent. I'm, I hope I'm being coherent here, but now all of a sudden <laughs> you can put together your four and five man combinations, two man combinations. Uh, and I mean, four and five as in power forward and center. And you can kind of look at what is our best power forward and center combination. And you can look at that yeah, data. No. Now the scary thing is waiting that out. Uh, and that's the thing that I don't have a great feel on. You know, how big does a sample size need to be before we can start trusting it? And I think that's right. something that's so very – You have to get at you know, least like 10, 12 games in, and then it's different when it's in league. But exactly. It, it, it definitely you know, has 10, some value. You know, no, it, it definitely does. I, you know, I uh, there's uh, – Brad Stevens was being – I've read him being quoted as saying that he wants 256 possessions before he starts to trust the trend. Um, is that right? Well, you know, in the coaching community right now, anything Brad Stevens says is just out of the gospel, so I'm, go, I'm going for it. <laughs> uh, so I, I, that's a guy I tend to trust. So, you know, that number's been floated out there, but it's, it's a very interesting question. When do you start to really tr- – when can you start trusting a trend? Um, when, and, and it's a very good question. And, you know, part of it is that, you know, and the scary the, – the thing I'm scared about is, is it really – is that sample size bigger than the college season? <laughs> you know, by the time you can, can – Yeah, that, that, it might be. Is the, it is the season be. over, and, and that's what scares me a little bit. And, um, you know, but I, I do think you just need to be patient with it, and I think you, you can't go to that data wanting an answer. You have to just, you know, uh, objectively observe it and just follow its trends and see if it's – telling you something and I think then once it's telling you something then you go to the videotape and say why all right is this right and why is this right all right we're really good defensively when that kid plays because he's an unbelievable he's, he's he does a great job in his gaps he's a really good he's he's got active hands on the basketball we get more deflections when he's on the court and we really defense a rebound you know maybe it's that yeah. or you know and again that you know the stats the stats indict that the video convicts yeah, no, I think uh, we had an example of this a couple of years ago. Uh, I think it was the year, be- year before you got to Army, but we had a situation where we had we had a guy that was in practice way better than our starting five. But when you put him with the top four, he couldn't get the job done. He was not effective. Yeah. It, was, it was Matt McMullen. I don't know if you remember that name, but his junior year, yeah, no, it's he a Jersey kid, CBA kid, right? Yeah, and, and yeah, he just couldn't there, fit yeah. in with the other four, three or four. But then the next year, when he was when he was like easily one of the five best, he was awesome, and he was maybe one of our best players because just the way everything meshed that year, he was able to be who he who he was. Like so, th- we talk about this all the time, but just because you're better, like when you're talking about guys four, five, six, seven, it doesn't necessarily mean 
you're going to play who's better, meaning the better one-on-one player, the better, lead, you know, Whoa. better shooter. Whoa. You might need somebody that fits the the other four guys because they. Well, and a lot of times it ends up coming playing. down. Yeah, a lot of times it comes down to six and seven is who doesn't screw up one and two. You exactly. Know, if you're, you know, exactly. But, you know, who complements the best player? You know, who complements our 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 best players the, in in the best way? And depending on the personnel you have, it, it, it's it can be different guys, but. That's certainly, you know, and that, that's what I say, you know, enough to get Zen and Phil Jackson. Like, but I think that's one thing that draws myself to the sport of basketball. And I think a lot of other co is it's truly the game where, you know, the whole, the whole can be greater than the sum of its parts. And that it, it's something that the dynamic of the team, it, it can really, it's not always just who has the best players. It's, it's what team is playing the best and playing the best together. And I think, that's something that I think is certainly drawn me to the sport. What makes the game so fun um, and trying to, you know, pull out the best results for your team. Right. And it's also, maybe we can get into this a little bit now. Um, you know, we're starting to track some different stats and practice. And I've talked to people on the podcast that have done, you know, I'm thinking about uh, uh, my, my new brother-in-law, Kevin Hovde from San Fran, who they do a whole lot of stats oh, and practice. See. And, Kyle Smith, and, uh, Kyle which is Smith's great. The best with that. Kyle Smith discipline, yeah. And, yeah. and, uh, and I, it just reminds me that, you know, practice stats, like we just said, aren't everything. Game stats are always going to trump them. So I always use, yeah. like to say, you know, you earn, the, you earn the, the, the right to play in a game by how you do in practice, but you earn your opportunity by how you do in games. So you might dominate practice, which we've had, I'm sure you've had guys, we, we've had guys. But then in the game, they just aren't the same player. You aren't going to keep playing, <laughs> you know. Like, yeah. <laughs> that's, uh, that's just how it is with with, with basketball. You got to produce. No. And there's well practice. There's certainly some of those, you know, in the Patriot League. You know, you you know, as we play Wednesdays and Saturday nights, and uh, Wednesdays and Saturdays, and there there are plenty of Thursday and Friday All Stars going around the Patriot League <laughs> yeah. that, that don't yeah. always show up uh, on Saturdays. <laughs> but it's just a it's, 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 important, it's important to you know just to mention it is important to get you know stat you know and you know and what you know what exactly are you statting what exactly you're evaluating but it's important because by doing that you are amassing another set of data more data and you're you're able yes. to really objectively view some things and you're not just sitting there saying all right who had a good practice today and you're i mean yeah it, you know and, and i'm i'm a nerd and I, i'm a geek who and really Kind of try to study several different disciplines, but one thing that's come out in my in in that research is uh, humans are very bad at taking a large data set and deciphering it themselves and, and trusting their psyche and trusting their mind and their memory to decipher what exactly happened. It's something that's really hard to do, and we are really, 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 really bad at it. Um, yeah, and, and a lot of that you can't trust your eyes yeah. right now. A lot of what I'm referring to right now is from the book Thinking Fast and Slow, which is very dense and very academic, but it has some incredible insights about how the human mind works and how we uh, make decisions and how we observe things and how we observe things incorrectly a lot of times. Yeah, I, I lo- I'm going to have to read that book because I'm a big believer. And I, I, uh, I, I consider no, I... myself relatively smart, but I still – you know, I don't always trust my eyes because I know that over the long run, you, your mind forgets and it, it sees things it wants to see. And so that book is probably kind of 
yeah. uh, sums up what my feelings are on that. That, 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 book, that, to, book, that book's pretty long. That book's pretty long, DK. That might be one you give to one of your players and say, hey, quick book report. <laughs> Just sum it up for me. Oh, yeah, one of those smart Colgate guys. <laughs> yeah, those smart Colgate guys. So what, what were you saying? Uh, just to get back to what we were talking about before, just kind of how analytics is used. Um, you know, wh- what are you guys doing uh, in practices and games to, to kind of uh, anything that you're statting that you're, you know, is, is a little yeah. different or, you know, anything like that? Yeah, we, 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 chart, uh, we chart several different things, and we'll chart them in practice. We'll chart them in games. We do pay, you know, one thing, like I mentioned, the lineup analytics, that's after the games. We're really looking at that. Um, we're gonna, you know, we're, you know, we're keeping offensive efficiency and defensive efficiency on the bench, and we're we're doing that in a four-minute segment and getting having an idea of where we're at in that four-minute segment of just breaking it up by the media timeouts, the four that occur. So total possession, you're you're keeping track of total possession. Yeah, total total possession. You know, points divided by points divided by total yep. possessions. Just having an idea of that, um, you know, and also one thing we'll do with that. Um, you know, offensively, we'll, we'll keep track of paint touches. Though we've kind of converted that to last year we did paint touches, and this year we're going to more look at it through the lens of how what percentage of our shots came off paint touches. Oh, cool. Um, yeah. So, you know, it, and we've kind of converted to that because um, that, that's the thing that's important is are you getting shots off of those paint touches. So we're going we're gonna to kind of shift our focus a little bit, you know, while still, you know, understanding paint touches are very important, but we're shifting them from what percentage of our shots came off paint touches and really talking about the ratio of, you know, three, you know, uh, three shots came off paint touches to one that didn't and, and talking about that ratio a little bit. We talk a lot about turnovers. That's, you know, that's not a, a new school analytic by any means, but it's something that's very, very, very important. So we'll talk about that a lot. Um, we'll talk about, um, on the, we'll talk about offense, the importance of offensive rebounding and, you know, we'll, we'll measure that and evaluate that by offensive rebounding percentage. Uh, on the other side of the ball, we'll talk a lot about deflections. We'll talk a lot about the percentage of shots um, that we can test. Um, again, and it's so funny, and I'm just going to diverge, and I keep on doing this, and I apologize, but Tom Thibodeau had a great line about analytics, and he said, you know what we used to call those, you know, you know what we used to call those analytics? Statistics. And that's my point is where does that <laughs> and where do analytics begin? Because my point is this is, is percentage of shots contested and analytic? You know, it's kind of an old school. It, 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 it's it's only you know it becomes an you know becomes an analytic when you give it the fancy name of analytic. But at the end of the day, it's sad. It's something that you should chart, and that's something that I think a lot of people sometimes are scared off of of analytics. But at the end of the day, that's a stat, and you know the points per possession thing that some of these you know old school coaches are try you know are pushing away. And saying, ah, that's the Linux, so, you know, I don't want to get involved with that. I understand Dean Smith was writing books about it in the 1960s, 1970s. You know, that was his idea was, you know, points per possession. He was charting that all the way then. Um, but I digress. Um, so we were talking about deflections are in practice. We're talking about um, percentage of shots we're contesting. We're talking about defensive rebounding percentage. That's a big one. So, you know, uh, you know, we think, uh, you know, that that is a large stat, and that's a stat that really um, – uh, leads to winning and playing winning basketball. Um, so, you know, those are the big ones for us. We'll chart those during practice. Um, we'll, we chart shooting numbers during live play because, again, it's something that we just want to have an eye on over what a guy's shooting from three, what a guy's shooting from two, what's that ratio between two and three. 
Um, so, you know, w- those, are the, those are the things we're talking about during games. Those are the things we're talking about during practice. Yeah, no, I, I think uh, a lot of those things uh, – um, are really important, and, and like I said, no stat measures everything, and that's where we run into a, a lot of issues because we try. I, I do the same thing during games. I stat every three that is open versus contested, and what each guy shoots with that yeah. shot. So, which yeah. which I think is a really cool stat, and yeah. it it affirms, you know, like you should not be shooting <laughs> challenge shots. But the, no. the the uh, the the arguers to statistics will be like what does that tell you yeah i know you shouldn't be shooting covered shots and 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 then it comes down to how much are you sharing with your players and and is that something you do share with your players uh you know i find that i got you got to be really careful because they don't understand or shouldn't be thinking about it so how much can you share in your experience like or what do you share with your players when you when you compile obviously we can handle a lot more than they can at this point as coaches rather than players you know and i'm with you there isn't a ton of that analytics that we share with the guys we have our team standards of those three categories on each side of the ball that they know and they'll tell you know we talk about with them but regards the you know other things and it's funny well you know the the lineup analytics have kind of um, created kind of a curiosity amongst our roster of like where they stand. And it's not something we really, we kind of made the decision as a staff that we weren't really going to disclose that with them unless we, you know, saw a need to. And last year we just never saw a need to. We, you know, actually there was a couple scenarios where we did, but it kind of created something where there was a curiosity amongst our roster where they were just, they wanted to know, well, where do I stand? What am I, are we, am I, you know, what are we when I'm on the floor? What do we when I'm off? And, you know, um, so, but analytics are something that they, again, it goes back to, you know, giving it, giving them that information and digestible pieces. What can they, you know, what can they understand? What can they take on? Are you going way over their heads with it? You just got to kind of find that happy medium of, you know, providing valuable information for them without going over their heads. And, and, you know, and, and so, yeah, I think it just takes kind of a, uh, fine eye by a coach to understand where that where that line is uh, for each guy. And maybe it's different for one guy from one guy to the next. Maybe you have a cerebral, sophisticated kid who can understand some of that stuff, and maybe you can you can put more on him. Um, and maybe you can get more in depth with his scouting of a future of, of an upcoming opponent about what a guy shoots going to his right, what he shoots going to his left, and maybe the guy that plays alongside him in the backcourt. I mean, he just you know don't uh, you know just you're you're slowing them down and by giving them all that information. So I think it depends yeah, with each no guy, yeah, and I think it depends, you know, amongst your roster, and it, and it depends about what exactly we're talking about. Are we talking about scouting? Are we talking about personnel base? Are we talking about from a team perspective? I think a lot of times it really depends on, on, on those different things. Just an aside, I don't know if he's still working there, uh, uh, your big boy Ferguson from a couple of years ago, is he still still helping out? <laughs> he, uh... <laughs> he's, at, he's actually down in uh, – He's down in Fort Hood, Texas, uh, enjoying the, the awesome nightlife right now. We he just texted he just texted our staff today, wondering when his double XL sweatsuit is going to arrive <laughs> in the mail. But unfortunately, we, we we don't have him this year. Where you know we had the tallest. Yeah, thank, thank God for, for that. For Col- Colgate is very uh, 
happy about that. But I, 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 I heard that was before my time, but I, I heard I heard he had Colgate's number a couple times. Oh yeah, but he didn't have just Colgate's number. The, the a sneaky stat of the Patriot League, one of those services that sent out adjusted plus minus, which is uh, yeah. I think extremely valuable, but also impossible to track on your own. You are, you need a yeah. service, but they cost like yeah. 5000 so we didn't think it was worth it. But he gave me a sneak preview one time of the previous year, and it was his senior year. He was by far, for those out there, adjusted plus minus is that factors in who's on the court with you and against you. So you need the whole population of the entire Division I uh, games to calculate that, it's much easier in the NBA, but with uh, Division One basketball, you do need every single team to be part of the universe. And he was by far the most efficient player in the Patriot League that year. So we saw it firsthand as he killed us, I think, three times. We, we played him three times. But, uh, but that's just as an aside, uh, your Army boy. Now, one, one, thing, and one thing I'll say, and I'll, I'll give our listeners a is college basketball reference actually charts – now, they chart something different. They chart box plus minus, which is very good and very close to – and I would actually argue, and, you know, this is just showing Dave and I's geekery of that, you know, this would be great to <laughs> kind of argue back and forth over why adjusted plus minus is better than box plus minus. I'm actually a box plus minus guy. College basketball reference actually charts it for all of Division One. Um, so, you know, that, uh, you know, that's something that you can take a look at, um, oh, that's that, fantastic. You, can take, I didn't that, know that you can take a look at that. Um, they do chart it for, uh, for bat for, um, for, you know, I, I'm looking here at the Patriot league, Zach Thomas actually led the league oh, awesome. in, uh, in box plus minus last year. And he's the fourth, uh, he's the fourth all time, uh, since 2010, 2011. I'm looking right here. Uh, Kevin Ferguson, uh, you know, ha- is, is eighth on that list. Uh, your guy Murphy Bernatowski is falls in that 25th on that list. So, um, all right, all right. You know, Can so, you give us cool the? Uh, do you have the top five from last year, and then maybe we can segue into the Patriot League? Yeah, no, absolutely. Give me one second. Um, I'm pulling it up right now. Um, give me one second as I'm pulling it up. Uh, box plus minus 2016, 17. Um, uh, actually, all right. So, uh, Nana, so <laughs> this will sound so familiar. Uh, Nana Fallon, number one, actually, in box plus minus. Zach Thomas, Bucknell, number two. Stephen Brown, Bucknell, number three. Cam Gregory, again, that's where you wow. get some interesting stuff. Number four of, at Loyola, and number five, Austin Price at Lehigh. Uh, the, that fell up top five. So Fallon, Thomas, Brown, Gregory, and, and, and uh, Austin Price. So that is a great segue as we now uh, start to talk a little bit about the Patriot League. Well, I got two Patriot League coaches here, and the season right around the corner. Um, would love to hear your thoughts. On the Patriot League, I find it kind of interesting. We can start with uh, Stephen Brown, third in box plus minus, and also a tremendous player, not picked first team all preseason. Um, what are your thoughts on, on the on the list 
came out uh, uh, the other day. I, I, I figured they'd have the entire Bucknell starting five on that first team. Uh, <laughs> I see, and I, I think there's a part of it, and I think there's a part, and we've seen it before, and you know, various, and not just Patriot League, uh, across all sports, just kind of sometimes if people are getting a little bit tired and want to go in another direction. Um, I think you could, I mean, Bucknell has phenomenal players uh, at every spot, you know, especially in that front line with Thomas and Fallon, but, you know, talking about Kimball McKenzie, talking about Stephen Brown, all four of those guys could have been on that first team. They really could have. Um, so, you know, Brown was snubbed, and I'm sure he's going to use it as motivation, um, you know, and, you know, end up having a great year. Uh, you know, I, I, I fully expect him to be a contender to be on that top list. Um, you know, at the end of the year uh, on the one that really matters. Um, but, yeah. you know, like you said, it's going to be an exciting year. And Bucknell, uh, you know, what they did last year, they are the class of the league. They, you know, and they're what, uh, you know, people, what people, you know, what the rest of the teams are striving to be. Um, you know, and they bring people, they bring everyone back, and they look to be, um, you know, especially how well they've loaded up that at the you know, non-conference plate. Um, you know, they're who everyone else is shooting for. But also, it's important to remember that every team is different. You know, uh, no matter how sound they were on, you know, each side of the ball last year, you know, there is a different dynamic with every team that happens. And, you know, and I mean that in a lot of ways. And, you know, you have Pat Riley's disease of me. You also have some other dynamics that are in play that it's not just guaranteed um, that, you know, they come out and, you know, they're they're ready to take on, the, you know, run through the rest of the league. Well, you know, certainly – the coaches pick them uh, as the favorites, which they have to be. Um, there is, you know, there is a different dynamic at play, um, you know, this year that, you know, was different than last year. Yeah, no, no doubt. And, I, and I'm looking at a couple different things here. And obviously the magazines are out. And Ken Pum put out a preseason projection, uh, you know, based on his analytics, which doesn't include a lot of things. And I'm just looking at the yeah. numbers here. They ha- he has Bucknell. Now, this, this once again, is from the spring. But um, he has Bucknell as the 79th ranked team in the country, uh, ahead of who he has second, 164th, which is Navy. Uh, that is one of the biggest gaps I've seen in the Patriot League since I've been following basketball. So on paper, they got a lot to live up to, and and they they deserve well, it. They, they earned it. No, and they do. And if you look at the returners, you know, across the league, I mean. Bucknell brought back just about everyone from a team that, you know, gave West Virginia a hell of a game in the NCAA tournament. And everyone else, you know, if you look at the final standings, you look at the preseason, you know, the, the Patriot League playoff seedings from last year, two teams two through five, uh, with the exception of Navy, um, who was the four seed, lost a ton. BU lost Eric Fanning and Justin Olsen, two fantastic players. Um, Lehigh lost one of the best post players the league's ever seen in Tim Kempton. Um, you know, like I said, Navy didn't lose a ton, but they lost a, a very good post player in Adelaide. Uh, Holy Cross fifth seed lost a ton for, you know, a class that, you know, had gone to the NCAA tournament, their senior class had gone to the NCAA tournament their junior year. So that's one thing that's very interesting is that Bucknell returns everyone and the teams that kind of followed right after them lost a ton and it creates a gap like, you know, you said, between uh, or a perceived gap between Bucknell and the rest of the league. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I mean, you know, if you're looking at the analytics of it, it's hard for new players to contribute right away, the meaning freshmen, um, 
there's a there's a couple teams, you know, Lehigh's got a couple transfer or a transfer and a junior college transfer that uh both look pretty good on film, so you don't know what they're going to be. Uh Boston returns a couple guys that didn't play last year, so you don't know where they're going to be at. Um so there's, there's some high level freshmen, it's it's, it's going to yep. be interesting. And, there's and some the talent thing, in the I, league I for sure. Yeah, and there's talent in the league on the court and it's something that I saw when I you know, like I said, I, I came from the America East and the NEC before that. There's talent on the court and there's talent on the sidelines of that. And I tell it to everyone I come across is, you know, the Patriot League is a, as well coached of a league as I've ever seen. I mean, from top to bottom, every team has just fantastic coaches uh, on both sides of the ball. Um, you know, even, you know, even Lafayette last year who had their struggles, I, I always say, like, there are some thing there you know there are some things people or coaches are doing that people are calling offensive trends or offensive innovations that Fran O'Hanlon was doing in the late 90s I mean you know so yeah. you know yeah. from top to bottom Nathan Davis said you know who, you know Bucknell won the regular season last year at one Fran O'Hanlon at 10 I mean there are just unbelievable coaches one you know at every league in our school um every school in our league and I think that's what makes it so fun is that you're going to in this it's an exciting year because while Bucknell is, you know, you know, is is the preseason favorite, it's going to be really fun to kind of see how this how this plays out with some, uh, you know, with some guys playing larger roles and, and like I said, some really good coaches trying to figure out how to make it work. Yeah, so so on that, I'm going to make some predictions. My All prediction right, is that Drum Bucknell roll. is not going to run the table. Okay, I know I've read that some places that they're going to be heavily favored in every game, but I think it is really hard to run the table. Absolutely. Bucknell, when they go up to the barn up there in uh, Hamilton, New York, eh? that's, that's <laughs> the one you're saying, right? Well, no, it's going to be tough. tough. And, and like you said, yeah, it's Don't get really me wrong. Hard. I hope it's us. It's a TV game, but, I, I, you know, I'm just saying somebody – Along the way, the pressure is going to be on them every night, and that's where I agree. You know, there's a there's a part that you know your your prediction makes a lot of sense in a lot of ways because the there is there's going to be pressure on them every night because they are expected to win every single game, and it, it it will be the it will be the second the two biggest games on everyone's schedule, um, save for the two service academies where it'll be three and four. Um, you know, it, it, it's it's a going to be a massive game for everyone they play. Yes, yes, for sure. So that's my, gonna, that's my you know they have prediction. a big old they have a big old bullseye on their back. My my next prediction is the difference between second and seventh is going to be two games. That's my uh, prediction. I, and that, I don't that's know who's going to be. Very, that's, I that's think a it's going to be very and, jumbled. And Dave, you can help me out. Was it? Um, it? It was before I got to the league. I think it was fifteen, sixteen, where there was craziness in the standings. Am I right on that? Was that fifteen, sixteen, where like there was a six-way tie for first place, like ten games into the year? Am I like maybe I'm not exactly right on that, but it was it was that fifteen, sixteen, when you know it was, it was 15, really muddled. Sixteen, where yeah, where eighth place tied with fourth, maybe. And because the of final tiebreakers, but it was even crazier a week before. That's right. Yeah, it was a four-way yeah. tie for fourth place. But like two weeks before, it was even like crazier where there were, you know, there was a six-way tie at one point. You know, and I could really see that there could be, you know, there could be that. Kind of, I, I, I think that's very poignant by you that 
of looking ahead and seeing um, and seeing that, I could definitely see that. I mean, clearly some schools may pull away. That's just I think it's going to be jumbled. I don't think yeah. there's much separation. I'm even looking at Ken Palms here. He goes 79, 164, 177, 181, 195, 213. So you're talking yeah. 50 spots, which is bam, not bam, all bam, that bam, much, yeah. you know, for the, for five different spots. And to be honest, this this top to bottom is also one of the better years because he doesn't have anybody below 300. He's got Lafayette at 296 as the lowest, and then the next at 269 being Holy Cross. Um, so, uh, you know, without any cakewalks, it, it could be you could see 10th place fun. team knock off some second and third place teams. Uh, so it'll be interesting. And uh, it, it's certainly going to be fun. One team that I'm really excited to see in because they're going to have to change, I think, how they play so much is Lehigh with losing such a great player in Tim Kempton, but they still have a good amount of very talented guys back. And just seeing the different way that Brett Reed plays, and what's interesting is not being around the league very long, I thought Coach Reed was always a guy who played through his post, and little did I know that, like, you know, that wasn't the case at all. That was the case when they have when they happen to have a really good player down there, like, you know, a, very like a uh, good coach does he modified what they do to fit their to the strengths of their personnel but that's what's going to be really interesting because they have a lot of good guards and they don't in they don't return very many minutes on, on the front line and i'm really interested to see kind of the different style they play and what he does to manipulate his lineups and rotation to get his best players on the floor and i think that's going to be i i really am interested to see how they're going to play and what their lineups look like yeah, that's a great point. I mean, when you talk about their front line, we just don't know. Like they have, they don't have anybody who played a whole just, lot of minutes. So but, you know, they, they know they bring right back because they bring back good players in the back. <laughs> you know? Yeah, no, they bring and, back and, good players. You know, uh, they had a great one of my favorite players last year. Yeah, the, uh, he's terrific, and and one of my favorite Jordan players. Jordan Collins yeah. knows this. Is uh, the 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 Karan Ross factor? Yeah, the guy absolutely is an absolute winner and um, has shredded us in the past and, and just kind of goes out, does his job. So he, he'll be the leader of that team, no doubt. But uh, they have a lot It's of funny, you work, know, at that spot, at that spot, they bring back Karan Ross, who's a phenomenal point guard. But they had a really good backup in Jordan Cohen last year. who was terrific as a, as a freshman. And then they bring in a high major transfer at that same position. And so right yeah. now, like, that's where I'm really interested to see is, what does Brett Reed do in that he has three high-level players that are all point guards? And now I, I imagine he gets those guys playing together at times. And, you know, he's going to, you know, one, he's going to get 40 minutes, a great point guard play between the three of them. And then what does he do to get all, you know, those guys the minutes they need? And that's what I'm really excited to see with the different things they do. And that's a team that I'm just curious about what they look like uh, come January and February. Absolutely. Me too. Me too. Well, we'll see. We'll see. I know I'm excited to get this thing uh, underway. We still got a couple more weeks here, but uh, but I, I want to thank you, Zach. This was this was great. Um, I'm sure I'll see you on the road recruiting the same players as many big league schools do. But uh, if I don't see you on the road, I will see you soon. And, and best of luck to you guys. I hope you guys do great, except for when you play us, obviously. <laughs> but uh, well, I like I you guys, we got a couple more weeks for our first game. We got a couple more weeks for our first game here, and we got a couple more months to figure out how to guard Will 
Will Raymond until we face you guys. So, um, you know, all I know is I got we got video of you on the bench screaming, "Don't let him go right! Don't let him go right! You let him go right! You let him go right!" So that was hey, that was one of the guys that couldn't handle the you know analytics and the scouting. So I I, you know I, I, I had it wrong, but uh, Dave, I appreciate you having me on here. It's great what you do. I love. I love kind of the inside look you 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 know this podcast gives to different programs and really uh, analyzes a very specific you know the college basketball basketball through a very specific lens of analytics. So I I think it's really neat. I love listening and uh, I appreciate you having me on here. No doubt, no doubt. It's good talking to you, Zach, and best of luck to you guys. Thanks, man. See you.